Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have brought us here today. We thank you so much for your word. Lord, we pray that you may open the eyes of our hearts uh, so that we may not just understand your word uh, but respond to it with our lives uh, as we look to the first couple of chapters of Hosea. We thank you, Lord God, that you are in our midst right now. And we know, Lord God, that you are working in all of our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we live in a, in a pretty turbulent society, don't we? If you're at camp, we were just reminded that we live in a, in a hostile world. Uh, we live in a society that has very different beliefs and values than us. But it's interesting that even in a secular society, there are still things that are just universally wrong. There are things that are just universally morally wrong. So, for example, when a celebrity is caught uh, cheating, when a celebrity is caught in adultery, it makes makes front-page news. It makes headlines. Unfaithfulness or, or cheating is wrong for most people, even in a secular environment. There's just something about it. There's just something about unfaithfulness that hits all of us. It's a universal sin. And in today's passage, we have God who accuses Israel for being unfaithful. And he does that through the prophet Hosea. But, but the message won't just be through Hosea's words. The message is going to be through Hosea's life. And so the setting is, Hosea's a prophet, and he's prophesying to God's people in Israel. And this is before the exile. And so he's been, he's been carrying out this prophetic work over five kingly reigns, and, and the current king is Jeroboam II. And at this time, Israel is actually really, they're enjoying a time of respite. I mean, they've been on and off with battles of, with surrounding nations, but now they're sort of in a time of peace. And when this happens, Hosea is not married. But then God commands him, to get himself a wife. But not any, not any old wife. He actually commands him to marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. So Hosea obeys and he goes out and he marries a, a woman named Goma. Can you imagine that? It's like God saying to Hosea, I, I want you to go marry someone who will repeatedly cheat on you. Don't just marry her but have kids with her. Are you feeling uncomfortable yet? That's the normal response. Well, what are the names of these dear children? Well, Hosea and Goma have their first child. It's a boy. And God tells them to name him Jezreel, which means God sows. God sows. And his name actually signified God's coming judgment. That is, God sows the seeds of his coming judgment. It's a lovely name, don't you reckon? Then Goma conceives another child, and this time it's a girl. And the Lord says to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being called not loved? And lastly, Goma has another son. And God says, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. In other words, you don't belong to me. In other words, you're not my people. 
I don't know about the parents here today, or tonight, but it was really significant for, for, for my wife and I when we were choosing names. It was, a, it was really a really hard time. We were talking to Andrew about this at camp. We, we spent a long time trying to find names for our daughters. We didn't get a prophetic revelation, as Hosea did, although that would have been really helpful. We, we, we stressed out about it. I mean, we didn't want to... We were looking up name, name, meanings of names and stuff. We didn't want to get it wrong because we thought this was... It's just so permanent. We didn't want to get them... Having them get teased at school. So we thought we'd better check. But, you know, in the ancient world, it wasn't much different. I mean, they didn't have Google to look up the meanings of the names. But it was customary to give, you, to give your son or daughter a positive name with a positive meaning. Like... Daniel, which means God is my judge, or David, which means beloved, or friend. I actually checked, like I was looking through my talk today, and I, was, I checked my, I thought, oh, maybe I'll look at my name, the meaning of my name. So I checked Michael, and it, it, Jeff, do you know it? Who is like God. I was like, oh, wow, that's awesome. That's an awesome meaning. I was like, yeah, good on you, mum and dad. You picked a good name. And, um, and I thought... Maybe we'll play a game tonight. Maybe I'll give you a meaning of a name, and then you can guess uh, this person's name. It's a person who comes to this church, is very well loved, very well known. I'll give you the meaning. Are you ready to play this game? This is the meaning of this name. Underground passages or holes in which rabbits live. Does anyone know? Anyone know? Yes. Thank you, Mark. It is uh, the Minister Warren. And it's a great name, Warren. It's a beautiful name. Don't be discouraged at all. I love that name. It's great. We, we didn't have a boy, so I mean, I didn't have the choice. Like, to... But, you know, for a child to be named not loved is absolutely outrageous. It, it's absurd, and it, and it really would have been very, very striking for the people living in that time. You see, through these children's name, God is communicating that his coming judgment is coming. It's nearing. It's drawing close. And what's clear is God is judging Israel. Because just as Goma has been unfaithful to Hosea, well, so too Israel has been unfaithful to God. They were once God's chosen people, but now God is declaring that Israel are no longer his beloved people. They are now a people under his judgment. Have a look with me at Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. Hosea 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jeho- Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in, depa- in departing from the Lord. So he married Goma, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I'll put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Goma conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo Ruhamah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I, will sh- that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, 
or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I'm not your God. Are we feeling the tension here? You see, Hosea and his family, they portrayed the outrageous, despicable, shameful life of God's people, the nation of Israel. And so Hosea represented God, and Gomer, his wife, represented Israel. And so through Hosea's family circumstances, it expressed, it communicated the devastating truth of Israel's unfaithfulness and corruption. But it didn't just reveal the corruption. It didn't just reveal the sin. It revealed God's judgment. But what exactly has Israel done wrong? How have they been unfaithful? What's the sin here? Well, put simply, they've broken the first commandment. If you have a look at your outlines, I've got Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 there. This is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Israel has been unfaithful to their covenant partner. I mean, these are God's chosen people. They have been given God's laws and all the blessings of the covenant. But they've decided to be an adulterous wife. Instead of loving and worshipping God alone, she's gone out and prostituted herself to other gods, to false gods. She's been like that unfaithful wife. And now, her husband's taking her to court, bringing charges against her, using her children as witnesses, laying his evidence on the table, showing how she looked to her lovers to bring her her provision and her satisfaction. Look with me from chapter 2, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land, and slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children, because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water and my wool, my linen, my oil and my drink. See, the accusation is very, very clear. The evidence is in Israel hasn't acknowledged that God was the one who gave her all the grain and the wine and the oil, which are all the blessings of the covenant. But instead, she's attributed all of these blessings to a false god, Baal. So instead of loving and honoring God like she should, she's gone out and given, she's given her affection, she's given her love, she's given her worship to Baal instead of God. Read with me from verse 6. Verse 6. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look after them but not find them. Then she will say, 
I'll go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. You see, Israel's completely forgotten her God. And she's, she's actually despised his provision and his grace. And so you can feel the expression of this wounded husband, God. But this is a husband who loves his wife. I mean, this is a husband who's provided for her. This is a husband who's, who's lavished her with his own wealth, his own wealth, so that she feels like royalty, adorned with silver and gold. And what's the response of the wife? Total unfaithfulness. The, the response is that she's run after other lovers, directing all her gratitude and her, her reliance, her adoration to other gods. That's the sin. Unfaithfulness. So what's the consequence of this? What's the consequences of Israel's unfaithfulness? Well, see, God declares that if Israel doesn't stop being unfaithful, she'll receive the curse of the, of the covenant rather than the blessings of the covenant. In other words, and very seriously, there's going to be a, a role reversal, an identity reversal. She'll go from being blessed by God to facing his judgment, his wrath, his anger. She'll be as a parched land in a desperate need of water. When she looks for her old lovers, there'll be nowhere to be found. All the grain and the oil and the wine that she enjoyed, that'll all be taken from her. She won't have any prosperity because she'll be taken into exile. And you know what? Those lovers that she relied on and she loved and she directed all her attention and adoration... They'll just be powerless to do anything at all. All they could do is just stand and watch as Israel faces terrible judgment from the true living God. Those festivals, those feasts that, that, that they celebrated, which was a source of rejoicing and expression that they are God's people, that'll all be taken away. And Israel's fields... They'll just be left for the wild animals to enjoy. Have a look with me. Chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens, and my new wine when it's ready. I will take back my wool and my linen, intended to cover her nakedness. So now I will expose her lewdness before the, the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her, were, were her pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the days she burnt incest to, to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me, she forgot declares the Lord. Israel will be punished. Israel will be punished for her unfaithfulness to God, her covenant partner. Israel will ultimately be destroyed and sent to exile. 
the situation looks very, very dire, don't you think? But you know, what's so beautiful about, about this book of Hosea is that God's relentless love for his people is just ever on display. You see, the middle of chapter 2, which we're about to get to, it just switches. It switches from the most terrible picture of judgment to this beautiful and romantic language of just restoration. It's a picture, again, it's a picture of a husband and wife, but this now is a picture of a husband bringing back his wife to his arms. And he once again, he adorns her with his love and blessings and grace and he restores her. And he restores her to himself. Have a look with me. Chapter 2, verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards. And I will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came out of Egypt. Why the change? What's happened? I mean, this is a tremendous change that's just happened here. Why is God speaking so tenderly to Israel now? Is it because she's repented? Well, actually, no. It's because God remains completely and utterly committed to Israel, even despite her great unfaithfulness. I mean, God is saying Israel has sinned, and even though she has sinned, I will restore her. Yes, she will be judged. She will be punished. She will be taken into exile, but God will ultimately restore. God won't let his covenant nation go. He will restore his people back to himself. You see, friends, I mean, we look at this switch and we, we just wonder. But the thing that we have to remember is God doesn't treat us as we deserve. He doesn't treat us like we deserve, it, like we, we treat each other. He doesn't treat us like we deserve. He is free to love. He is free to love people who have turned away from him. Even those who have chased after other lovers. He chooses to love. He chooses to restore and as he does that something wonderful happens there seems to be this change of heart in Israel we, we, once she's turned away from God now she's turning to him in love and so the passage ends with a beautiful promise God promising a beautiful marriage that's not temporary no God promises a beautiful marriage that will last forever. Read with me from verse 16, chapter 2, 16, and we'll read to 23. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, you will no longer call me my master. I'll remove the names of the baths from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them. With the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land, so that all may lie down in safety. 
I will betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I'll betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and oil. And they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant for myself for her. Sorry, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's a wonderful picture of of just restoration and intimacy restored. God has charged Israel with unfaithfulness because he's chased after other gods. But in his great love, God has promised to graciously bring his people back to himself. That he might once call them again, my people. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? But friends, what about us? As God's people here today, what about us? I wonder if we, like Israel, could be open to that same charge that God laid on Israel. I wonder if we, we also have these, these lovers, these lovers that, that, that are apart from God that we run after, that we run after for our own provision, for our own satisfaction. These gods that we chase after instead of the true God, whom we are betrothed. Let me ask you these questions. Who are you relying on to provide for you? Who are you relying on to provide for your needs? For for your satisfaction? For your sense of identity? Who, who, Who are our lovers? Is it God? Or is it our careers? Is it your business, your family, your friends, your social standing? Is it your ministry? Is it that romantic relationship that you're involved in? Is it, is it your children? Who are your lovers? Are you struggling to answer that, those questions? Well, let me ask you another set of questions. I'm going to warn you, these are confronting questions. What's your worst nightmare? What's your worst nightmare? What is it that if taken away from you will remove your will to live? I know these are confronting questions, but when we ask ourselves these questions, sometimes it gives us a clue to who or what we are inclined to place instead of God. You see what I'm saying here? My friends, we all have this tendency to turn our backs from God and live our own way. We're all tempted to give ourselves to other things, to other gods. We forget that every blessing that we enjoy comes from the hand of God. You know, we, we enjoy the material blessings that we, that, we, that we have, and instead of thanking him for it, we, we give ourselves more to our work and to our careers. 
as if it's our God. We, we enjoy the state of our health. Instead of being grateful to God for giving us health, we, we, we run after the God of exercise and gym and all of that stuff. You know what I mean? We enjoy the blessing of, of our family and our friends, and it is a blessing of God. Of course it is. But instead of being grateful for them, to God, instead of being grateful to God, we spend all of our time with them, and we spend nothing of our time with God himself. And so what happens is, is that we, we end up worshipping the gifts rather than the giver. John Calvin, one of the Christian reformers, once said, man's nature, our nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. What he's saying is that we are so good at making idols for ourselves. Our hearts are perpetual factories of idols. But today's passage reminds us that actually God hates our unfaithfulness. He hates it. He absolutely abhors it. And so we deserve his eternal judgment. But you see, this passage also reminds us that these lovers and these gods that we run after, away from God, they are powerless. They are utterly powerless in the face of the one true and living God. But this passage also reminds us, it reminds us of God's relentless love for his people. It reminds us of his unwavering resolve to restore, to renew his people, no matter what the cost. You see, my friends, in Jesus, through his work upon that cross, we are now called God's chosen people, God's special people. His beloved possession, cherished and dear to him. Our relationship with God is restored through Jesus. And so he looks at us. God looks at us with total affection, total love. And he says, you are my people. And because of his work in our hearts, we can respond to him with hearts full of praise and say, just like the passage says, you are my God. There's been a complete reversal of identity because of Jesus' work on the cross. And so just as in 1 Peter 2, 9-10 says, we are now chosen people. We are now a royal priesthood, God's special possession. Have a read with me. It's in your outline. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, this passage in Hosea beautifully displays God's relentless love for his people, but it also gives us a choice. We either worship God or something else. We either give ourselves and our love to him, or we give it to something else. We prostitute ourselves to something or someone else. We have a choice. Tim Keller, an American pastor, says, the only way you can get rid of an idol or a so-called lover, a false god, is to replace it with another love. An overpowering love. And he calls it an overmastering positive passion. My friends, that overmastering positive passion, I mean, it's got to be Jesus. It must be Jesus. 
The problem is we, we don't always feel that love for Jesus. We don't always feel inclined to run to him. We, we, we're inclined to run to other things, don't we? aren't we? But you see, God's love and his spirit within us, it helps us. He helps us to turn to him, to turn back to him, to love him. You see, my friends, God's resolve, God's resolve is to restore us, to renew us, to renew our hearts so that we can turn to him, so that we can come to him, so that we can have a love for Jesus, so that we can have a renewed passion for him, to live for him, so that we can have a thirst and a hunger for his word, a craving within us to spend time with him. And friends, as we do that, the other things that we chase after, they don't seem as appealing anymore. So today, my friends, let our prayer be that his spirit moves us to see this undeserved love that he has for us, given to us through Jesus. That he open our hearts to how empty and futile and powerless those other gods are, those other lovers. That his spirit illuminate this, this wonder that we should have, that he's changed our identity from not my people to the people of the living God. And may his relentless love for us in Jesus ignite in us this overpowering love, this overmastering love that will see all these other idols and all these other gods drift away. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your relentless love for us. Lord, we are like that unfaithful wife of Hosea. We've all turned away from you. We've turned to other idols and other lovers for our provision, our satisfaction. But you resolved to bring us back to yourself. Lord, we justly deserve your condemnation. But we thank you so much that through Jesus' sacrificial work on the cross, we can be called your children, your people, who are dearly loved. Thank you, Lord, that you have adorned us, us unfaithful people, with such grace and mercy and love. Lord, help us to identify those idols, those other lovers that we turn to. Help us to love you and come back to you. Lord, we declare that you are our God and we pray that you may help us to live for you. We pray that you may ignite in us an overpowering love for you as we see how much you love us, as we see how much you've done for us through Jesus, as we see how you've graciously brought us back to yourself. And Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen.